Everyone in heaven is dead. That was the shocking statement that was made by the retreat master on a retreat that I recently attended. Everyone in heaven is dead. But then he quickly added, except for Jesus and Mary. And that clued us in as to the point that he was making. Because what makes Jesus and Mary special among all the saints in heaven is they have bodies. They have bodies. Jesus ascended bodily into heaven 40 days after the resurrection. And Mary was assumed by God, body and soul, at the end of her earthly life. He probably should have added Enoch and Elijah to that list because the Old Testament records both of them being assumed bodily into heaven. But apart from that very select group, no one else in heaven that we know about anyway has a body. That means all the saints right now exist as disembodied souls. And that's why our retreat master could say, everyone in heaven is dead, even as we affirm the truth that's articulated in the gospel today, that to God, all are alive. We're used to to speaking of the saints in heaven as being alive, being even more alive than we are here. And in a sense, that's true. Because our faith teaches us that our souls survive death. And so in that sense, they are still alive. And the saints in heaven, they don't just survive death, but they enjoy the beatific vision. Their souls have been perfected, and they have a union with God that's more complete than anything that we experience here on earth. So it's not wrong to say that the saints in heaven are alive, but it's also not wrong to say that they're dead. And if we skip over that important point, then we miss out on an essential aspect of our Christian faith, which is our hope in the resurrection. Our hope in the resurrection. Because Christian, human beings, human beings are composite creatures, meaning we are both physical, material, mortal bodies, and we are spiritual, immaterial, immortal souls. We are both of these things, right? We're not just bodies. We're not materialists. We don't believe that our consciousness is created by chemical reactions in our brain and that all we are are these physical bodies. But we also don't believe that we're just souls that are inhabiting a body and that, are, that really we are the souls, right? Our bodies are not haunted houses, right? We're both of these things together, body and soul. That's why we, we, we teach that it's so important what we do with our bodies. That's why it's important when we sin with our bodies or when we sin against our bodies. The church takes these things so seriously. That's why we practice both the spiritual and the corporal works of mercy. Because we show our love for one another, not just by how we minister to each other's spiritual needs, but also how we minister to each other's bodily needs as well. We are both of these things. And this is why the incarnation is so important. God shows his love for us, not just by giving grace directly to our souls, but God shows his love for us by taking on a body like ours. 
He suffered death in a body like ours. He rose bodily from the grave. He ascended bodily into heaven. Jesus gave us the sacraments as physical ways to communicate his life and his grace to us, to convey himself to us, give himself to us in ways that we can see and touch and taste with our bodies. God gives himself to us both body and soul. He made us body and soul. He redeems us body and soul. We are both of these things. And when a human body and a human soul separate, we call that death. When the body becomes so damaged by by illness or by injury that it's no longer capable of giving expression to our soul, the soul leaves the body and the body dies. But it's still part of who we are. It's still part of our person. And this is why we treat the body with respect and not as something to be discarded. When you come to a funeral, we have the body right here in front of the altar in a place of honor, and we reverence it. We we incense the body. We bless the body. When someone is cremated, the church insists that those cremated remains be treated with the same respect as we would a body meaning they're given a place of burial or internment in a columbarium. You don't scatter them to the four winds. You don't make jewelry out of them. You don't put them on a shelf like a trophy or store them away somewhere in a, in a closet because that's part of that person. That's part of that person. Meanwhile, our soul lives on because our soul is immortal. After death, the church teaches that we each face our particular judgment, and we will know at that time whether we will spend eternity separated from God in hell or united perfectly in God's friendship in heaven, maybe after undergoing a little additional purification in purgatory first. But wherever our souls spend eternity, God did not make us to be disembodied souls, not even disembodied souls in heaven. What do we call a body without a soul? A corpse. And what do we call a soul with no body? A ghost. A ghost is not a full human being. It might be a happy ghost. It might be a blissful ghost. It might even be a holy ghost. (laughs) But a ghost is not a full human person. And so that's why it's true, even though we don't normally think about it this way, we don't normally state it in these terms, it's true to say that everyone in heaven is still dead because they don't have bodies yet, except for Jesus and Mary and Enoch and Elijah. They don't have bodies yet. Yet. And that is an important yet. Because we know that day is coming. That is our faith. That is our hope. The hope of the resurrection. This theological idea that one day death will definitively be overcome and that we human beings will live, truly live as human beings, body and soul, forever with God. That's our hope. That's the resurrection. The difference between the two largest Jewish sects in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, was that the Pharisees believed in the resurrection and the Sadducees did not. That's what made them sad, you see? Help you remember which is which. 
The Sadducees thought this life was it. What you see is what you get. Right? This life is it. And that's why they're asking Jesus these ridiculous questions about a widow who remarries seven times and whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection. They weren't asking this question about marriage. They're challenging Jesus on the belief in the resurrection because their logic is if she's legitimately married to all seven of these brothers, then in the resurrection, that means she's going to be married to all of them. And polygamy is a sin, and there's no sin in heaven, therefore the resurrection is ridiculous. The resurrection doesn't make sense. They're pushing back on Jesus about this. But Jesus is smarter than they are. Jesus says, there's something you're not seeing here. There's something that you're missing. You don't understand. There will be no marriage in heaven. There is no marriage in the world to come. Now, that troubles some people, especially people who have lost spouses. Make note of what Jesus does not say. He does not say, you're not going to know and love your spouse in heaven. In fact, from everything we know about heaven, you're going to know and love your spouse even better than you do right now because you'll be perfected. You're going to recognize your spouse in heaven. You're going to have a relationship with them just like you're going to have a relationship with your kids and with your parents and with your siblings. You'll know and love each other in heaven. What he says is there won't be marriage in heaven. Well, there won't be any sacraments in heaven because the sacraments are given to us for this life to help us get to heaven. When we're in heaven, we've made it. We're already there. So we won't need marriage in heaven. And then he reminds the Sadducees of their their fundamental point, their denial of the resurrection, is false. Because he says even Moses recognized this. The Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. And so he quotes from those first five books. He quotes from Moses, calling God the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I am the God of these people because to God all are alive. All are alive. Most of the Jews, including the Pharisees and the Essenes and the Zealots, all these other people that we read about, they did believe in the resurrection. And we see this when Jesus tells Martha and Bethany that her brother Lazarus will rise from the dead. And Martha says, I know. I know he will rise from the dead with everyone else on the last day because that was her faith. And Jesus tells her that her hope is closer than she realizes because he says, I am the resurrection. And then he proved definitively that the faith of those who believed in the resurrection was right and was justified when he himself rose from the dead as the first fruits of the resurrection. The first fruits, not the only fruit, the first fruits of the resurrection. The difference between the Christians and those early pagans that they went out to spread the gospel message to is our hope in the resurrection. This is the good news that they preached. The good news that they preached wasn't there's this guy named Jesus who died on a cross and rose again on the third day. Okay, that's interesting news from Jerusalem, but what does that have to do with me? The good news is you will rise again. Because for pagans, the best that they could hope for was a happy death. A happy death to be happy ghosts somewhere in the pleasant fields of Elysium. They'd be happy forever as ghosts. But the Christian hope is more than that. The Christian hope is not to have a happy death. The Christian hope is to conquer death and to live forever, to really live body and soul. The ancient Gnostics, one of the earliest heretical groups that the church 
banged up against. They thought that the soul was who we really are. We are really souls, and that the body is just an outer shell. And so salvation for Gnostics meant to be freed from this body, to be freed from this body. What you did with your body doesn't matter. It's just a prison. It's just a shell. The soul is who you really are. I tell you, there's a lot of people in our world today, including a lot of Christians, who seem to have adopted that same attitude, that you are not your body. Your body is not really who you are, that you are really just a soul. So we cannot forget, it is important that we do not forget what the last words of our creed are. I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. I know when we get to the end of the creed, you're a little tired and you might want to speed past those words, but they are important. They are what everything is pointing towards. I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Because our life's end as Christians is not to die in a state of grace and go to heaven. That's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I hope to do that myself. But that's not the end. That's an intermediate state. Because we are not meant to be happy ghosts. We are meant to be human beings fully alive, body and soul, reigning with Christ forever in the new Jerusalem. That's our hope. And on that great and final day, the last enemy to be conquered will be death. This is what the scriptures teach us. The last enemy to be conquered will be death. And Christ will hand everything that he has won over to his Father, and death itself will give up its dead for the final judgment, as we read in Revelation. This is how Jesus describes it in John's Gospel. He says, those in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done good deeds to the resurrection of life and the wicked to the resurrection of condemnation. That's the general resurrection and the final judgment. And after this, the universe itself will experience death and resurrection and there will be new heavens, and there will be a new earth where God will dwell with a human race, and there will be no more tears, and no more mourning, and no more pain, and most importantly, no more death. No more death. This is our faith. This is our hope. It's not for a happy death. It's for eternal life. Let's pray for the hastening of that glorious and blessed day.